Lucky you. Best 36 holes in golf. You tuned in to Alternate Shots Podcast. Arnie's Army. Where we talk about golf. Barkies, Sandys. Poker. Bond. James Bond. Horse racing. I'm all in. Great movies. Alfred Hitchcock. We have no script. And down the stretch they come. We're glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. (laughs) (laughs) Whoop. Let's start again. All right, Billy, we finally got around to it. We're getting to the James Bond gadgets and gizmos. How about that? Not like not like the one we just saw. That was the villain's gadget or I don't know what you call that poison coming down the string. What do you call that? I'm, you know, a technologically advanced string. Right out of your Singer sewing machine, the little bob. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the only thing that saved James Bond is he went like this and leaned over and what happened to Aki? She went and spooned with Bond, and that was the end of it for her. Too bad, yeah. Too bad. So Billy and I are uh, back with the Bonds, and we're going to talk about gadgets. You know, the you know, go, there's no way to do this with any kind of script. But I thought what was kind of amusing was in uh, Goldfinger, uh, Bond coming through the the I would call it the Seagull scuba gear. Yeah. He had the hat with the duck on top or seagull on top. Was, you know, and that's that's a gimmick, but it's not. We could do that. You know, you just get a decoy duck and put it on your head. So that wasn't one of Q divisions. More advanced. Inventions. I don't know. I don't think Bond did anything. I don't I think the only thing he ever did was light a cigarette. I don't think he ever put any effort into any of these gadgets. <laughs> But we have to point out the, the unique thing about James Bond and, and the consistent thing about James Bond is without any prior knowledge, he could operate any gimmick or any gadget or any moving vehicle like, you know, like he was an expert at it. It didn't take him long how to figure out how to r- drive a tank or fly a helicopter upside down or motorcycles or airplanes. You put the controls in front of him. He figured them out like that which was Q's nightmare because every time he visited Q division, you know, he was picking up stuff and, you know, put that down. Don't, don't touch that. <laughs> like a kid in the candy store. I think one of Bond's beauties picked up the Polaroid laser beam camera and she started to take a picture of Q and Bond and they went the other way and she zapped the <laughs> photograph in front of you wouldn't have been hearing about Q or Bond much longer and, in that movie. And, and Q deserves uh, kudos for he's one of the longest lasting characters in the series and even even in the newer ones when john cleese t- took over the part and then the little uh harry potter like guy in the in the latest ones with daniel craig <laughs> it's a great 
aspect of James Bond. Q Division is just such a great and under not spoken about enough, but it's it's a great part of James Bond. Yeah, the Q. You're thinking of Harry Potter because you're thinking yeah. about the pen bomb, yeah. right? Three yeah. and then two detonated three, <laughs> and then yeah. the guy was and in Bond sitting on the side going, oh, maybe. Yep. Okay. Yeah, was that in um, Goldeneye? Where the 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 brainiac yeah. computer program was invincible. doing this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm invincible, and and he <laughs> was doing it, and we lost track. It was like watching a three card Monty play. Right. I didn't know where it ended up. Did he detonate it? Did he not detonate? It? And that was the suspense. So they used yeah, suspense. It was, it was sort of fun to try and keep track, but as a as a viewer, you knew you didn't have to keep track. It's either blowing or it isn't. You know, and if if it was necessary to blow up, it was going to blow up. It's just which time. And, you know, and everyday items, you know, that was an everyday item, a pen. Or how about the cigarette rocket launcher, right? <laughs> that was pretty. Yeah, he had that in uh, uh, You Only Live Twice, I think it was. Or was it Diamonds Are Forever? No, you're right. You Only Live Twice. And uh, that got him out of a bind. I don't really remember where the toothpaste, the detonite toothpaste came in. That was Roger Moore at some point. But I, I don't really remember it that much either. I just remember, you know. You're making exploding toothpaste, and they gave it a name. Yeah. You know, what, you, you know, Q could have just said this. This stuff will blow up. You know, license like to kill. The reason yeah. you don't really remember it, if you look at, I think, like, uh, you know, they're all good, like you said. But you look at Rotten Tomatoes or some rating agency about movies. It's the lowest among the lowest of the twenty-five or twenty-seven bonds. There's a couple of fake bonds that people call bonds, like. You know, the one spoof of Casino Royale yeah. and yeah. Never Say Never Again. But yeah, I mean, how about the Golden Gun? I mean, that that wasn't a Bond gadget, but that was pretty clever. A million dollars a bullet. Yeah. And that was more, uh, you know, directed at the, the villain. You know, that was his particular tool as opposed to a Walter PPK, which James Bond always had. <laughs> <clears throat> How about when the, how about when the uh, when Bond meets the toolmaker for the Golden Gun bullet maker, and he wants to get the identity of who owns the Golden Gun, and the guy is in this little ratty little what is it like basement and you know terrible area, you know twenty five people eating rice out front, and right he's got this gun and he's like you know moves it over toward the guy's you know private parts. <laughs> He says, oh, I'll get those for you right away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you can't you can't talk about Bond gadgets and leave out the attache case because as kids, and, and and again, Bond transcends every age. As a kid, it's you know, wow, this is great. The gimmicks are great, the secret agent part's great. You know, and as adult, the adventure and the you know, the Bond girls and everything, you know, it it covers every age group. Um in its own way, James Bond captures every age group in its own way. But, you know, if you were a kid like I was and you guys were, anybody my age was, when these movies first started coming out in the 60s, you had to get the attache case when Mattel came out with the attache case. You had to get it with the hidden knife and the camera and, the you know, the, the exploding tear gas or if you opened it the wrong way. Sure. It didn't come with 50... Cougarons or gold pieces or whatever else was in there. But if it was just 
hawking an attache case, say a faux leather thing, they would have sold three of them. Right. But with all those other gadgets inside the attache case, they sold zillions of them. And as you yeah, see, and it was, kids you know, gobbled them up. Stuff. You know, you could fire shooting shells, I think they called them back in those days, where, you know, the, the toy guns that actually fired little bullets. Yeah. You know, and how many times did you hear you could put somebody's eye out? I don't care about that. I got a gun that shoots real bullets. I'm going to hit something with it. So the talcum powder component in that briefcase, uh, attache case, that that really got Bond. He was in Robert. What was it? Robert Shaw, who played the bad guy in uh, from Russia with love. He had the little garrote came out of his wrist and he wrapped it around. And that was yep. the end of it. once yep. it was like having your head inside a uh, crocodile. You weren't getting out of that. Yeah. And Robert Shaw, you know, the gamut of roles he played in his life, that was a really good one and an early one for him. But, you know, as we all know, he went on to get uh, eaten by Jaws, the, the real Jaws, and, uh, you know, in, this, in the Jaws movie. <clears throat> what was he, Quint, in that movie? But he, he was a great actor, and he played that part very well. He was really, of all the adversaries Bond ever had, he, he was really kind of the most treacherous. I mean, there's always odd job, but... You could see him coming or Jaws when they got in the Roger Moore ones. You could see him. You could see those guys coming. But um, Robert Shaw playing that guy was, you know, he was stealth. Bond didn't know until the very end of the movie who the killer villain was. In the other movies right. you talk about, he knew when he saw that big old Jaws with a silver teeth coming in, he knew what to do. He could get prepared. He could get. He could get in a position. <laughs> right. He's in a tight little Same with train car. See him. Yeah. yeah. He's across the street, uh, across the table in the dining car, while Robert Shaw is putting a Mickey and his girlfriend's white wine to to disable her, so he can have his way with uh, Bond. Yeah, that was yeah. an incredible. And, and he spoke. He spoke. All these other villain villains really were more appearance, like and grunts. Odd job never spoke. Odd job. He never spoke. spoke. Yeah. So he was a, a single dimension kind of foe or villain, whereas Robert Shaw put on the English accent as a Russian spy. Right. He was a, as good an agent as uh, as 007 for the other side. And he was able to, you know, win 007 over. He conned 007. That's not done that often. Another one I like in that movie, and you've heard me talk about this, is Rosa Club. But she was, she had the, um, you know, the dagger shoe with the poison tip. And she got her fellow spy, Kronstein. I think she got him. But the very end of the movie, well, uh, the whole plot of the movie is to get the, uh, the lector, you know, the decoding typewriter type device, right. and he gets it, and he's with the girl, beautiful, beautiful the, the, beauty. Yep, and she's and, a Russian. Uh, they're in the hotel room, it. right? What yeah. happens? They're in the hotel room, and who comes in? She comes in with the with the uh, um, with a duster, know, the tray, like she's like she's the waitress, or, or yeah, she's, or she's cleaning cleaner. the room, she's and she's going right. to get the bags. She's doing everything, right? She's right, <laughs> right. Bond's walking around and, and then she's got Bond, the shoe the shoe out and she's kind of limping around trying to kick him. <laughs> she came pretty close. 
hell she had to do. By the way, that was the what fourth or third or fourth bond. That would have been it for the series. <laughs> Again. But they were smart enough not to kill him, unlike the last guys who made the movie. We've been over that. So we're gonna talk you can't about kill this. James Bond. You can't no, kill you can't James kill. Bond. It's a it's a fact of life. You can't beat up the three stooges. It's a fact of life. They're impervious to pain. You're not gonna win in a fight with them. They'll say ow, but you'll you'll never put them down. You hit him with a hammer, the hammer breaks. So there, there are certain, you know, undisputable facts in in uh, movie and uh, film history. And and you, James Bond getting killed, not, nope, never going to happen. Uh, you know, and we have not, not accepted that as any. Bar. That's not a fact of the uh, over 60, 70 year series of James Bond. That's just a pause. And uh, also, as our friend Gabby says, 007 is going to be a man. It's got to be a man. Has to be a man. You can have a yeah. woman, but let's call her 008 and a half or whatever you want to call yeah, her. Or turn the circle upside down or what, you know, do something different. Make but, her know. unique so she can create a, a great series. Right. Why, why does she have her to live with in somebody the shadow else? of a man? Sorry, what, what'd you say? Why does she have to live in the shadow of a previous man? She should be her own agent. Right. And it would be great, I think, if you had, you know, 008 or 001 make her, whatever you want to make her. Or come up with a completely different, you know, MI6 type group and have her, you know. But for God's sakes, use some creativity and originality as opposed to just trying to stuff something down people's throat for the sake of, you know, diversity or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I think Halle Berry was interesting to me when she came on screen. I thought that they were introducing her for that type of role. And so many things get confused in off-screen negotiations for parts and things like that you know we talked about james bond and, and and sean connery the first five bonds he was not perfect you know the uh the director uh terrence the director was really instrumental in in polishing that rough yeah, diamond he refined, up. he refining him yeah he didn't have this pose that we're looking at here leaning up against that he would have probably looked all gangly and awkward if it weren't for terrence young who told him this is how I would pose if I were you in his in his uh, you know bespoke suit and a four hundred dollar tie and a thousand dollar haircut, right? But he was clearly intelligent enough to understand his new role and and you know buy into Terrence Young's tutelage, you know, and it probably helped him going further in his career because Sean Connery went on to make a lot of great movies. He he stopped being Bond because he didn't want to be typecast his whole life. That's where the never say never again came from. But he got out of the role. He was able to he was able to do other stuff like the man who would be king or entrapment with uh uh where he plays the thief, the high rise thief in more yeah. modern times. So he did get he did get away and Daniel Craig will probably get away from the role as well. Roger Moore, I don't know if he was ever looked at as well, Daniel Craig has gotten away. He's done the uh these couple of uh kind of detective series. Yeah, uh, he did the Tad Lady with the tattoo movie. Yeah. The girl, girl. Well, he did another a couple other ones, the Whodunits. And 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 he's sort of moving on. I think the producers back then probably loved Sean Connery and what they created. They wanted him forever, but they didn't know when to quit. And you have a uh, you have to have the physical ability. Goodness gracious. Yeah. Roger Moore was well into his 60s when he was playing James Bond his seventh or sixth time. 
you know. Yeah, but he was like the like he had that kind of style and class like a George Sanders before him. Ironically, George Sanders played the saint in the movies and and Roger Moore played the saint on the television series, but you know, as they say in the Kinks song, if you covered him with garbage, George Sanders would still have style. And that's <laughs> that's the kind of uh that's the kind of character you need that you know that that, that just ooze this you know Elon it's it's you know so for for Sean Connery to convert to that type of character from his rugby self was was a pretty good good job by him they also brought the common person into you know the high life the high style life the yeah casinos. that was always the best part we get to go to the casinos and we don't have to and risk the high end resorts like the one and only in the bahamas yeah, and, and even are... in the later movies with uh, with Daniel Craig going to the right to some of those incredibly beautiful places, like where he's convalescing after after his bad time. He said, "Where is that? That would love to just sit there for a Overlooking few hours." Overlooking the Mediterranean, your yeah, the Malfi coast. Well, he was convalescing. Mr. White's house. Mr. White had a nice house in that kind of area. He, he got shot in his ankle there, but yeah. Well, it started with uh, you know the writer. Ian Fleming had this beautiful little, I don't know, probably 1,500, 2,000 square foot casita overlooking, you know, the Caribbean or Caribbean. Mm -hmm. You know, he was 15 feet from his typewriter. If you're looking at what we're using right now, computers, that was his typewriter. The, the Caribbean was right there, 15 feet right. away. So it was easy for him to imagine these beautiful scenes, you know, but. Uh, speaking that. of beautiful scenes, the picture that's on our screen right now was Sean Connery leaning up against what the the, the be all and end all of gadgets, I think, in in any movie history, that Aston Martin, the Aston Martin DB five, yeah, you know, with machine that... guns and oil slicks and tacks and bulletproof shields and the ejector seat, and again as a kid. I don't know if you guys all remember Corgi toys, but they were upscale vehicles. They had sus spring suspension and stuff. They were great toys. They had cop cars, trucks, all kinds of different stuff, Corvettes. And they all had little gimmicks like the trunk opens or the windows go up and down. And when they came out with the Aston Martin, it did a lot of the tricks, including the ejector seat. You got a little tiny guy sitting in the seat. You hit the button and the, the roof opens and the guy gets shot out of there. And if you were like any other kid in the world, the little guy got lost within the first couple of days, you know, so you had to make up little guys or make them out of paper or something like that. But, you know, you put the cat the ejector in seat is, is iconic in, in and of itself. <laughs> now, I mean, just the thought of that. And uh, we all remember when we saw it for the first time, even if we're seeing the movies now for the first time, you know, the gold finger ejector seat, the, but what's 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 really good about the uh, Q division was they were able to like sort of pick apart Bond's next mission and equip him with stuff that was always different than the last time, but it was always stuff he needed on this mission. <laughs> Coincidentally, right. you know, notwithstanding Skyfall, good, good thing I have my Dentonite. Right, notwithstanding Skyfall was a huge commercial success, big sales globally. But at the end of the movie, he goes back to the Aston Martin. Yeah, when Judy Dench as the new M. See, that worked. They made Judy Dench M. They didn't have to change the character around. She right. was just the next in succession. 
She's yeah. she was great at the job. She did it differently than the first guy, uh, <clears throat> but she, but she was great at the job, and she she had that tongue and cheek thing going. And she's you know he's making the getaway with her and the Aston Martin, and he's she makes a reference to like don't do not hit that ejector seat button on me. <laughs> yeah. Well, she was tough with him. Don't ever yeah, well, don't ever come in my back. apartment. How did you find me? Don't ever come in my. And he's using her his her computer. She, yeah, he's at the same time, he's, she's also like that. How does he do this? Yeah, does he... yeah, yeah. So I there was like... a mutual uh, respect for each other in the in the in those later bonds with Roger Craig. You know, I think uh, Sean Connery, you know, took his orders from M, but I don't think there was sort of a. A mutual thing going on there they it's, never mingled that was no. either see him in the uh, q's office or m's office and that was it yeah even q and he was a thorn in in uh in bond's side a lot of times you know give us you got to use this instead of that so he have to sneak his walter ppk back in or he'd have to break off his flirtations with money penny because m was listening and so there was that kind of stuff going on but with Judy Dench, it was a completely, it was another relationship. She knew she had, you know, a tiger by the tail that she couldn't manage, but she also knew she didn't want to overmanage him because he was so successful. She was tough. And then, you know, she did go out with him in Skyfall and we know how that went, but in Skyfall, there was some good old fashioned, you know, kind of levers and springs as great little gadgets that little, the way they put the shotgun shells in the light bulbs and on the yeah, floorboards. That's what, I mean. that's what I mean. His 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 abilities go far beyond any normal. He was an expert in anything explosive and anything that moved. James Bond mastered it in seconds. How about the... Uh, With the, the exception of Goldfinger, where he couldn't quite figure out how to stop that nuclear bomb at Fort Knox... And he was about to push the wrong button. And then at the last second, the guy that does know how to stop it takes his hand away and, you know, stops the bomb at zero, zero, seven seconds left. So. Yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. The The other one in uh, Thunderball with a little breathing device. Remember, it kind of looked like a chapstick almost. It was. It and I think it, that yeah, like worked. Google. Yeah. Yeah. And he had the little jetpack on and he's going in the in the underwater. That was such a great scene in it, in and of itself to conceive. We're going to have like literally a battle of two armies take place underwater. You know, so right. some of them had scuba, scuba tanks and James Bond is flipping through it with his little jetpack on, just pulling people's masks off so they yeah. can't breathe. It's like, it was oh, yeah. cool. well, that was, that was actually before the, uh, the underwater Lotus Esprit uh s1 submarine car that was in the spy yeah. who loved me that was later on but that was yeah you know that um uh elon musk bought that car i guess he was i don't know if it's a joke or whatever we won't go into that but even back into dr no the geiger counter was geiger counter who not many people have ever seen we've seen it on movies and tvs but it was a gadget yeah, and I was thinking about that the other day, and I don't know if you remember the old Superman series with uh, George Reeves, but they had a Geiger counter in that show once when Superman got radioactive, and it was... Uh, was that with the two little Martians that were in the hole, the little guys? They had one in that, too. Yeah, yeah. that was called The Unknown People. That Yeah, where the, it was a double episode, and they had a Geiger counter in that also, uh, you know, so it was it was not 
a well-known device in the world because who has a Geiger counter? But, you know, in Dr. No, that was that was almost the extent of the gadgetry for, for, for the good guys. Well, you had any other gadgets before we wrap this up? Because I think this is pretty exciting and we'll... We'll fill it with some clips and I things like that. I can't remember what the gadget was, but in the movie where there, it was, I think, Barbara Carrera, who was, uh, you know, a very, where she had Bond in a real bad way. And he said in, her, in his memoir, he wouldn't even, she wouldn't even be memorable. And he ends up, I thought it was a cigarette, but he blows her up with the missile that goes off and gets stuck in her and delays oh, yeah. and then blows up. Yeah, that's right. That's there a was... memorable one, too. I can't remember if it came from a pen. I think it was a pen, maybe. A pen rocket. Or a cigar. I'm not sure. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look that up. So if you had if you had a choice and you could have the real McCoy and it worked 100% as advertised, would you want the Jetpack or would you want the Aston Martin DB5? I'll take the Aston Martin because I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. I think, you know, depending on if you lived in Long Island on the LIE, you'd like to have the jetpack. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, I, there must be some combination of the two somewhere, or there will be where you can, you know, turn the car into a helicopter or something like that. No, I'll take the I'll take the Aston Martin with, uh, with little Nelly in the trunk. The Aston Martin jet. Yeah, we didn't even talk about li we didn't even talk about little Nelly. And, you know, that technology, I was just watching maverick top gun and there was so much shooting going on that i kept thinking about little nelly because he had a lot of rocket launchers and guns and, and invaders and that was in the 60s yeah yeah yep but i was going to say that also q went out to the site and helped uh james bond uh put that together right because he had to go you know that's you only live twice yeah q was the instruction manual yeah yeah, and Q has been in the most James Bonds of any character. Just I I think he was in 17 and he sort of faded out in the later ones and John Cleese came in. John Cleese didn't do a lot of them, but he did one or two. He was one quite or two or called, three, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is I like the new guy too. I I do like the new guy, the kid. I think the new guy we haven't even seen his capabilities. I think they're going to unleash him. I think they introduced him conservatively, and Money Penny I like. Um, yeah, they're Gareth. both much more interactive in the movies now. They're more important. They don't just like give Bond stuff and go away. They're they help him throughout. They were all involved in that Skyfall where they came into cabinet and started shooting up all the cabinet members. They're much more involved than behind mahogany office doors and that scene was a great scene because m is up there trying to explain to these stodgy ignorant board or people in control sort of like the you know when the congress has a hearing in our country that you don't need these guys on the street anymore and then the next thing you know <laughs> here comes bond to save the day because he is on the street you know and javier Bardem was 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 great he's great in every movie but he was he was pretty good in that movie yeah and he had he had well, that's right he that. was I mean, the he, villain in that he, one i keep thinking of uh no country for old men but he was yeah. a bad villain and he did some clever things and disappearing yeah, he, he lured bond into a dead subway place where i almost had him hit crushed by a, a subway train yeah it's like wow yeah yeah he, hey. he was one step ahead of them the whole way in that movie 
Yeah, take that, Indiana Jones. You just had to run away from a, a big old rock coming down at the subway yeah. with 20 train cars. <laughs> yeah. All right. It always reminds me of the old cartoons where a guy's running down the tracks away from a train. And even as a kid, I would say, take a left or a right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's Stop right. running straight, you know. Duck. Well, we don't have much information, but as we do, we'll get into who might be the next James Bond. There's betting lines. We won't have to do this today, but there's several, three or four or five candidates, and I think probably yeah, in the next year. If you're listening to this podcast, in the comment line underneath, send us suggestions because we'd love to talk about that. It, it's like speculating about who could play James Bond. It would be a lot of fun. Yeah, if you want to know the list, just go to Ladbrokes. That's the betting site in, in the UK. And they have a whole betting site on who you can bet on who the next Aaron Taylor or so, Idris right. Elbow, whoever it is. But, you know, be well, interesting to hear. Tell us who you'd like to see play Bond, even if he's not on the list. It's an interesting discussion. I'd love to talk about that. Yeah. And tell us what your favorite gadget is and tell us what your favorite Bond theme song is and who sung it, uh, whether it's, you know, Tom Jones or Sheena Easton or Adele. Adele. We'd like to hear what that that might be. Nancy Sinatra. Yep. Yeah. All right, buddy. That's wrap. Thanks, ma'am. We'll talk to you go, soon. Go check your shoe phone and your magic lighter and your, I, you know, I see behind you, you got the little Corgi uh, Aston Martin toy over there by your lamp. Have fun with that. We'll catch up with you the next time. Yeah. And maybe the cone of silence will enter into it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. See ya. Yeah. Why are you laughing? Oh, oh, well, at least we have a laugh to add if you <laughs> Right. We're, we've gone from 12 handicaps at this to 19 handicaps in just a week. <laughs> that, that's what happened. Somebody changed my grip, and the next thing you know, I can't do the podcast anymore. I felt like I was in the first row of the uh, first pew at church right during the sermon. <laughs> and your brother was my brother, my brother was making me laugh. Thanks for joining us today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Marky. subscribe to the Two show. Letter. Hit them hard. Job. And hit them off. That's 36 holes. The James Bond theme have stuck around through the entire franchise. Da 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 da. The Bebop midsection has actually, in more recent years, become more of a Bond theme in the film scores than the ding 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 guitar riff. All those blaring trumpets and horns are part of the big band jazz sound created by John Barry, the composer who arranged that original bomb theme and went on to score 11 of the first 15 films. By the third movie, he'd started playing all those brassy instruments with big arrangements of strings, flutes, and harps. So it was Barry who began the whole Bond sound with this kind of dangerous mixture, partly jazz, partly rock, partly orchestral. This would become the instrumental template for Bond music. And it's clear in just the first few seconds of Shirley Bassey's theme for the third film, 1964's Goldfinger. Here we have blaring horns, offset by violins, and later on in the song, Goldfinger's intro is so iconic that Gladys Knight arranged her song around it decades later for the 1989 movie License to Kill.
And listening to the instruments and all the other Bond themes, I found that every single one of these references that style of big brass and full orchestra laid down in gold. Even in the songs that seem to break with the format, you can hear clear nods to John Barry's classic instrumental style. Take Madonna's theme for Diamond Under Red. Knows when he's kissed her. 
This is the end Hold your breath and count to ten Feel the earth move and then Hear my heart burst again For this is the end I've drowned and dreamt this moment So 
Diamonds are forever They are all I need to please me They can't stimulate or tease me They won't leave in the night Have no fear that they might desert me Diamonds are forever Touch it, stroke it, and undress it. I can see every part, nothing hides in my heart to hurt me. I don't need love, for what good would love do me? Diamonds never lie to me. forever sparkling round my little finger unlike men diamonds linger men are mere mortals who are not worth going to your grave for I don't
I flew 
but there and then I suddenly knew you'd care again My running around is through I'd fly to you
James Bond.
not 